This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Yo, and welcome to the 125th episode of Lake of Rage, a Pokemon trading card game podcast. I'm your host, as always, Kevin Clementi, a.k.a. Mel underscore Magikarp. I'm joined by two very special temporary guest hosts. My preface, this one's incredibly exciting. This is one of those episodes that, you know, spoilers to some other podcasts, but, you know, you had a regional champion hosting one of the other podcasts. Someone got top four. So what are we going to do that's different? This episode is the difference. We're going to be talking about the worst cards of all time. And our first guest host that we have on today is Ruby Retro. So Ruby, can you introduce us to yourself a little bit? How long have you been playing? What are some of those retro formats you enjoy? And what makes you into retro formats in the Pokemon trading card game? Yeah, what's up, guys? Uh, my name's actually Nick, but I'm the voice uh, of Ruby Retro. I'm joined with Ruby Retro by my friend Aaron, who does all of the editing. So shout out to Aaron. And um, I've been playing since about... I've had the cards since 2001, but I've been playing uh, competitively since 2008. And for me, I think uh, favorite retro formats, uh, really, why and why retro for that matter, boils down to I love seeing all of these cards that I never knew were good that, you know, I had as a kid and being able to bring those out of the binder, bring them out of the old box and sleeve them up. But I think for me, my favorite formats, uh, definitely like 2008, just when I was getting into the game and really just not appreciating how good cards were at the time that people were using. Right on. And then real quick before we get to our second host, I'm curious because your YouTube video, that original one of like the Wizard of the Coast, you know, the first tournament, all that stuff was recommended to me completely out of nowhere and absolutely popped off. Were you both ready for how much that video is going to pop off in the YouTube algorithm or was that kind of catching you off guard too? No, that was a total shock. So we actually made that probably like a few months before we posted it and it took us that long to get it edited. And we just said, you know, no one really did this. It'd be kind of fun if we did it. I like writing. Aaron really likes editing and doing the special effects. And so we just said, I think it'd be nice if we had a community of maybe like 5,000 people or something. We could do some giveaways and just have fun with with doing retro. And then we hit 100K and went, oh, OK, well, I, I think we're on to something here. And then our other temporary guest host joining us, waiting very patiently for their turn as well, is Whimsicast. Whimsicast, how long have you been playing the game? What are some of your favorite retro formats? All the same questions. Of course. Thank you. Uh, I've been playing the game since 2011. Um, started in 08, so shout out to the 08 gang. But I wasn't playing then. I was just collecting. Um, and I really didn't really play the game competitively until about like 2017-ish when I got really good on PTTGO. But I've always been more of a casual player, just tend local events and do retro events online. Speaking of retro, I love 2010. That's my favorite format by far. I wasn't around to see 2010 when it was actually the format being played. I was just collecting. But I've gone on to really appreciate it. And I've even made my own two-hour-long video on the format, which is... I consider my magnum opus. So <laughs> got that uh, from Ruby Retro. In fact, the idea to do that I was like, oh, retro content has an audience. Let's do this, right? So quick question for both of you before we move on. And there is a correct answer. 
What is your favorite deck in the 2010 format? Whimsicast, why don't you start us off? Oh, of course. Uh, there is the best deck in the 2010 format, and anyone who disagrees is wrong. <laughs> I can say this from hundreds of games experience. Curseguard BDIF beats everything. That was an incorrect answer, but, you know, I'll accept best instead of favorite. Ruby Retro, what about yours? I think one of my favorites has got to be Jump Love. I actually played that deck at the time. That was the first deck I ever won a tournament with. And so that deck always has a special place in my heart. Also an incorrect answer, but, you know, a valid one as well. <laughs> Correct answer is, of course, Gyarados as the best deck. We're going to talk about first the worst cards that have just ever been printed. You both came up with two from slightly different eras that are just why do these things even exist? So we're going to go through both of those real quick. For those of you on YouTube, we are going to pull the cards up on the screen. And those of you listening, I will read them out to the best of my ability. I am not a professional enunciator, so I apologize if we stumble over some stuff. But the first one we're going to pull up is from Wizards of the Coast, Team Rocket's Evil Deeds. Look at your opponent's hand and choose a card there. Your opponent shuffles that card into his or her deck. Then your opponent may draw up to two cards. So, Ruby, this is one of your picks. Why is this so bad? Because on first glance, it doesn't seem like the worst thing in the world. Yeah, so this is really from an era where um, Pokemon was trying to fix a lot of the mistakes that they made during Gen 1. This is a Gen 2 card, and if anyone's familiar with it, it's essentially a weaker version of Rocket's Sneak Attack. They'll let you look at your opponent's hand and just get rid of a trainer card with um, no downside whatsoever. And so the way that they said, let's fix it, is, okay, you can pick any card, but then your opponent gets to draw two cards. And the reason why this is on the list for me is because, you know, sure, you're taking a card out of their hand, but it's not like Marnie or something where you put it to the bottom of their deck. They have a chance to draw back into that card, and then they get another card on top of that. So if they're like one or two cards off from winning the game, you're just helping getting them that much closer to doing it. And it's not like deck out was really that big of a win condition at this time. So you're you're just giving them more and more card advantage. It, it boggles my mind why they printed this. And then I'll always offer if the other person has anything to say. Whimsicast, do you have anything to add to Rocket's Evil Deeds? Yes, actually, an interesting little tidbit to it is that we've actually gotten a very similar card recently <laughs> in Ortega. I believe that is from Obsidian Flames. And mm. it allows you to look at your opponent's hand and choose one card, put it to the bottom, I believe, and then they draw one. So it's kind of interesting to see that effect come back. But it's even, it's a little bit better that they draw one, but it's your supporter for turn. So it's almost worse in a way. Yeah, because this is back when there was no item, no supporter, no anything except stadiums. So they had tools at this point, right? Or was that in Neo, not in? They had tools. Yeah, yeah. They, they had tools. I think this is Neo Destiny, so they would have had tools by this point. Well, this was my brain automatically said this is a rocket card because it's Team Rockets, but it is not a rocket card. <laughs> The next one we got down, at least my list, is it looks like we've got the Dialga, which is definitely one of those cards that, look, I promise you, I am reading this card correctly. So it is a 100 <laughs> HP basic Pokemon for metal, 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 metal. That's four metals. Time rewind does 70 damage. Shuffle your hand into your deck and then full stop. That That is the end of the card. So Whimsicast, this was on your list. Why does this exist, I guess, is the real question. So these were, I believe, promos in Japan, and that's the way that a lot of them got given out. And I know the shiny versions are extremely expensive, so good luck finding those. 
in Japanese. So they kind of had to make them bad as they usually do with promos. Mm -hmm. And we got these in Call of Legends. And there's some other ones that we were even talking over on here. This was this one's just the most obviously terrible. Um, it's just 70 damage. You lose your hand. That is probably the worst attack effect we've ever seen. There is actually a small glimmer, though, in this card that I got when I posted this on Twitter, which is that there is Yen Mega Prime in this format, which I'm just going to read the ability on this one for context here. Yen Mega gets free attacks when it matches the opponent's hand size. So if you have four, you have four. Yen Mega gets to attack for free. So somebody brought up that you could potentially stop that. But there's also Judge, as we all know and love in that format. So it's unlikely you'll ever be able to do it. Ruby, you're shaking your head. <laughs> you're just thinking about this card even I, more. I, I remember when this card came out. I remember being at the pre-release for it, and someone pulled it and just built a deck around it, obviously. <laughs> and uh, we, we called it I Lose Dialga. Because <laughs> every time they said Time Rewind, they said I Lose was this card even viable in a pre-release format of like 100 HP did no. 70 damage? It's pretty good. <laughs> it it takes four turns to power up. I mean, it even for like the time that it came out at it just it was never going to match anything else you could pull. So, I'm curious when Cassie you did mention too the like the promos were meant to be bad on purpose and like this is bad. But what are some of those other ones if you know off the top of your head? I don't know if you have them like ready to go, but what are some of the other ones that are just like, they printed this to very clearly never see competitive play. Uh, so I know the Kyogre off the top of my head, which is four water. And I believe you flip a coin. If heads 40 to your opponent's bench guys. And then if tails 40 to your side of the board, um, yeah. which is also terrible. There's no bench barrier Manaphy at this time. So, you know, you're probably getting hit for damage. If you flip tails, and I know for a fact that there is a Lugia, and it's just it just has very expensive attacks. It's the same with the Ho-Oh. They're it's just bad because they're very very expensive. Five energy is a lot to pay. Gotcha. So not yeah, I I think I think the Kyogre is definitely the the worst of the ones that came out. The other ones, like uh, Whimsicast said, they're expensive attacks, but they don't actively hurt you. And when when like Jay Witz did his worst cards of all time probably like almost seven years ago now he he very clearly distinguished like these are bad there are bad cards and then there's just cards that hurt you and like dialga and kyogre are cards that actively hurt you okay so there is another yeah. one that is at least in contention i mean like he's, he's shuffling your hand is just game over at that point right like there was no b barrel in this form there's no octillery there's no uh clay doll in this format there was magnazone Okay, yeah, two, draw until you have six as an ability. So in theory, you could dialga your hand and then draw fresh six next turn. In theory. Good luck. <laughs> uh, the next card that I have from my absolute worst is Alf Lithograph. And there's multiples of these cards, so I don't know how to tell them apart. But I'll read the text of this one, which is shuffle your deck exclamation point and again full stop <laughs> i didn't miss anything in the beginning of it that is the card so ruby retro this was your one how do you differentiate first off the alpha lithographs because there are so many of them 
Yeah, so th there's four of them, and they printed one in each of the Heart Gold Soul Silver core sets. And so um, I think this is number two. I think it's from Unleashed. Yeah. And the first one was just they're they're just like throwaway secret rare cards. I mean, they they look cool, and they're textured. And the first one says like, look at your opponent's hand. And when it came out, it was okay. Like it's not great, but it's not completely terrible. And then when, you know, this was the follow-up to it was Shuffle Your Deck. It was just like, what are they trying to do here? Um, and for this is by far the worst of the four graphs. Only one of them's like marginally playable, and that's a look at your prize cards effect. The, the, this one just, it, you're not gaining any effect from it. I can think of very few scenarios where this is ever going to come up. And most of the time, you you just rather be drawing into like uh uh into like um a juniper or something if you're trying to stack your deck. Out of curiosity, for and this is for either of you, the look at your prize cards one. This shuffle your deck just sucks. I'm sorry, but the look at your prize <laughs> cards one. Did you put them back in an order? Or did you have to shuffle them before you put them back? I believe you put them back in an order, but at the time there was a Rotom, and it swapped the top card of your deck with a prize card of your choosing. And it was used yeah. in Durant Mill because Durant milled a card for each Durant you had in play. So you needed all four in play. We didn't have any fancy Hisui and Heavy Balls back in 2011. So you had to make do with Rotom. Okay. Because that's actually, that sounds like arguably better town map at that point, right? Because you, I mean, in addition to the Durant thing, which is viable, I never would have thought of that one. Uh, not a Durant player at all. But like you can play it, but your opponent can't see what prize cards you're taking or they can't, you know, you town map and they're like, oh, you have three Zerua's prized. All right, sick. I'm going to play my game differently. So that's that's kind of cool. I don't know. I kind of wish that card existed. But anyway, shuffle your deck. Whimsicast, you also mentioned something before because I had this question. There is an exclamation point at the end as if you're supposed to be very excited when you play this card. Why does this end <laughs> in an exclamation point? Oh, you bet I'm excited to play this card <laughs> in my deck. Anyway, in the unknown language, there is a unknown for each of the alphabet letters, and then there is exclamation point, and there's question mark. There is no period. So to have the card be with the text, for the listeners out there, the card is written in unknown text. It has to use an exclamation point or a question mark, so they use exclamation point. <laughs> so do the other ones all end in an exclamation point or question mark? I assume. believe it's all exclamation, yeah. Okay, let's go. Consistency. Yeah, I think it's all exclamation. Because I don't, I don't think you're saying, like, look at your opponent's hand, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That would be a... Because you don't actually have a choice if you play the card. You have to do it. So that would not make any sense. Right. The last of the just worst why does this card exist is... Uh, this one's from you, Whimsicast. It is Bill. But very important caveat. It is not Bill from base set that is arguably one of the most broken cards ever printed which i guess is an entirely different conversation this is bill from is it heart gold soul silver base yes so it's a supporter card that has the effect draw two cards unlike base set bill which is a trainer card of no indistinguishable thingy so whimsicast it feels a little obvious but why is this card so bad this card has quite a legacy to it um it is bad in two ways it is bad in being outclassed by everything around it. And it is also bad in that it also errata the old bill because it uses the same name. So it turned old bill if you played like unlimited back then. No one did really, but if you did, bill did get overwrote. 
um, which also happened way later on in Cosmic Eclipse 2019 with Erica. Same thing happened um, with them reusing a name. But it, it is also just hilariously outclassed, both before and after. One set before Bill, we had a card called Professor Oak's Visit, which draws three, and you put one card from your hand on the bottom. And the set after Bill, we had MC's Chatter, which is flip a coin if heads draw three, if tails draw two. And we had Cheerleaders Cheer, which draws three, and then you can have your opponent draw one, almost like Wallace, like we see nowadays. None of those cards saw play either. <laughs> it is wild that those cards were like... Because like currently Worker, right, is like a card that people play in Gardevoir. And even the Gardevoir players are like, I really want to play any other card because it's so bad. And it is still a massive power creep over every one of those cards you just read. We also recently got a card that is technically better than Bill, but Rourke from the latest set, or the one that is, I guess, releasing a couple days after the set exists, or this podcast coming out. Rourke is a supporter card. Draw two, put a basic energy from your discard pile into your hand, which is, I think, one of the absolute worst cards I've seen in the standard format, because it's better than Bill, but not, it's not a whole lot better than Bill. I hate Rourke. I'm, I might be biased, I love the Sinnoh games, but that card looks like a fun cube card, if you ask me. I'd be down to play that cube. That sounds like an incredibly low power cube, which sounds very enjoyable to me. Maybe not incredibly low power, but not a disgusting high power toxic hand lock cube. For sure. So those four worst cards that you all could come up with, which I think is very safe to say, most likely some of the absolute worst. I want to mention, too, before we get into the next segment, as well as the past segment, any listeners who are like, yo, y'all miss this. Please add a comment on the YouTube channel, you know, go to the Twitter at Lake of Rage pod. And instead of yelling into the air in your car as you're driving, which you can do, you're more than welcome to do that. Go yell at us on Twitter or the YouTube comments as well. You're highly encouraged to do that because I really enjoy this topic and I'm happy to learn some more stuff. This podcast is sponsored by Tabletop Village. Tabletop Village, located in Seattle, Washington, is a premier Pokemon's first trading card game store in the entire country. And now you can receive 5% off your order from tabletopvillage.com using the code MELLOW5. That is M-E-L-L-O-W-5 off your order of Paradox Rift, any booster boxes, any ETBs, any sleeves, anything that you need for the Pokemon trading card game from Tabletop Village. Again, that is code MELLOW5 to support the podcast and to get some new cards. We're going to jump into the worst cards to ever actually see success. Now, I'm kind of curious what both of you defined as success when I when I prompted you with this, both of you immediately took it and were like, yep, that sounds great with like no further questions, which is very encouraging to me because you both know exactly what you're doing. But uh, we'll start with Ruby. What did you define as seeing success? Yeah, so I defined it as um, either popping up um, in some kind of tournament winning list that just it looks really out of place as to why it's there. And then I also defined it as if it was just showing up in a bunch of decks at the time because there was just no better card for players to be using, then I want to include that on the list. And Whimsicast, what did you what did you define as seeing success? 
Uh, so I went to Limitless.com and typed in the search bar the card that I wanted. And this actually helped weed out a few cards. There was Sigilyph GX, which I was considering doing, but it ended up being more playable than I remembered it. So yeah. I decided to keep that off. Yo, that I card tried to body cards... Peekerom. <laughs> For sure. That's what I remember it doing. Um, so I tried to define success around something that saw play, but something that obviously wasn't meta-defining. Something that maybe popped up here and there. Or something that popped up and maybe caused a problem. We'll get into that. Yeah, so I do have to say, out of Ruby Retro's list, I had to look up all but one of the cards and what they actually did. Versus Whimsicast's list, I earned championship points with three of them. So they are... They're valid until you look at them in a vacuum and are like, wow, that card was actually very bad. But anyway, let's go ahead and jump into them. We're going to do, I'm going to say chronological order, but I'm going to be honest, it's going to go with pre-limitless era and post-limitless era because I, I don't know any sets at all. Like after Wizards of the Coast, like stop printing cards. And then up until Heart Gold, Soul Silver, when the border changed, all of that is a jumbled mess to me. So we're going to do our best here. Uh, the very first one I've got is going to be from wizards of the coast and that is of course i'm gonna assume time capsule is the first one but i don't actually know so we're gonna go with time capsule all right bear with bear <laughs> with me as i read this thing yeah yeah the 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 text is horrendous one of the original cards in the discord chat of like oh what are some of the ideas was lieutenant surge's secret plan which i thought was by far the most text on a card it is more than this i think but it's not a whole lot more. Anyway, Time Capsule. It is a trainer card. Your opponent may choose five basic Pokemon, five basic Pokemon evolution and or basic energy cards in his or her discard pile. Parentheses. If your opponent doesn't have that many, he or she may choose all or none of them. Close parentheses. If your opponent chooses any cards, he or she shuffles them into his or her deck. Either way, you may do the same and you can't play any more trainer cards this turn. So it's kind of like Brock's Grit, but you both get Brock's Grit, but also you can't play any more trainer cards anyway. <laughs> Ruby, how did this possibly see success is my question. Yeah, weirdly enough, so this card came out in, in late 2000, early 2001 in Neo Genesis, and it really started popping up um, during that era when the first rotation happened. And it completely took over as the only recovery option players had when Team Rocket rotated in 2002, and we lost Nightly Garbage Run. And for pe people who don't know, what that card does is it's it's just Super Rod, so you could shuffle three back in. So a lot of players thought that because everyone had used Nightly Garbage Run, okay, we need to be running some kind of recovery here. What do we have? Oh, we have Time Capsule? All right, throw it in the deck. And I, I put this card on the list as being one of the worst cards to see success um, for two reasons. One, your opponent gets the same effect, which just seems horrendous to me, because you're probably playing this pretty late in the game, and you probably don't want them getting back a ton of resources. And so this just seems pretty counterintuitive to that. And the other reason is you don't get to play any more trainer cards during your turn. And the way this card is worded, because trainers all encompassing here, when supporter cards first came out, and this was legal with supporter cards in format, you couldn't get to you didn't get to play a supporter card either. So you had to either really strategically plan your turnout or just kind of say, okay, I'd really like to play this copycat or whatever, but I need to time capsule here. 
So you just you lose out on that opportunity completely. Whimsicast, do you have anything to add to Time Capsule? I think it's really interesting. This is on the short list of the cards we were discussing to possibly bring up that a similar kind of effect would see play later in Buddy Buddy Rescue, which was an item card in the XY era that allowed each player to put a Pokemon from the discard pile into their hand. And it saw play for similar circumstances even, because there was just nothing else. So decks that had to recover Pokemon had to play it. Shout out to a Gyarados from that format that did, in fact, use Buddy Buddy Rescue at one point. Definitely intentional segue there. (laughs) (laughs) The next one that should have been the first one now that you mentioned what set it was from, I'm pretty sure. But anyway, we have Blaine's Kangaskhan. 80 HP basic Pokemon, Child's Punch, flip a coin if Tails Attack does nothing for a colorless, and then for three colorless, one, two, punch, flip a coin if Heads Attack does 30 damage plus 10 more damage if Tails Attack does 30 damage. So I assume this is just a vanilla beat stick. Were these numbers even good at the time, Ruby Retro? No, so this card shows up in um, the third ever Super Trainer Showdown, which we'll make a video on eventually. Um, And it was in a junior player's deck that was based around Blaine cards. When the first rotation happened, there was a lot of... um, You didn't really have a ton of energy acceleration anymore because you lost Blastoise and you lost DCE. And so players were kind of flocking to Fire because it had access to Blaine, which lets you attach a second Fire energy to one of your Blaine's Pokemon during your turn. It does not stack. Um, And for whatever reason... He played it with Blaine's Arcanine, which makes sense. It hits for a ton of damage. He played it with Blaine's Rapidash, which, again, makes sense. It can spread damage. But then he played, like, two or three Blaine's Kangaskhan in it. And I don't know what the thought process here is, because Child's Punch is an attack that says that you have to flip a coin to do 10 damage. And he was playing this in a format that contained baby Pokemon. So you had to hit two heads just to deal 10 damage with this thing. And the second attack really doesn't shed any light on it either because you're not really hitting for that much damage again. So I don't really know what the thought process was here. Uh, it, it worked for the kid. He he won the tournament with it, but it never showed up in any other lists after that. Whimsicast, do you have anything about Blaine's Kangaskhan? It's certainly not as good as the first Kangaskhan, that's for sure. <laughs> Speaking of broken cards. Uh, yeah, I, I don't get this card. This is just one of those cards that I was really hoping you were going to tell me something that I was completely missing here. The next one we have is, it looks like, probably Swampert. Swampert from, I have no idea what set this is. I'm going to let you fill that one out. But Swampert has stage two Pokemon, has an ability washout as often as you like during your turn. You may move a water or fighting energy attached to one of your bench Pokemon to your active Pokemon. Can't be used if Swampert is affected by a special condition, as most Poke Powers were. And then Hammer Arm for a water, water, colorless, colorless. 80, discard the top card from your opponent's deck. So moving energy has historically been good in theory at least so i'm gonna assume just with zero knowledge that that is why this card saw success correct me if i'm wrong ruby retro yeah so this is a swampert from early 2008 great encounters which is the set that gave us claydol 
And uh, we also got this card. And the reason this card is on the list is not because of the 2010 deck that um, some people have tried to make work with it. There was actually a Gardevoir player who used this in their deck, and they won a regional tournament by countering Magmortar because they could just hit for weakness and one-hit KO Magmortars with, uh, with Swampert. And the reason why this ends up on the list um, for that for that era is because they weren't running any basic waters. They would use Washout to pull up their like double rainbow energies and their scramble energies to the Swampert and then try to blow up opposing Magmortars. I mean, clearly, clearly it worked for them. I just think it's a very high-risk card, and the attack just really isn't that good when you have other things going on. Like, you could be Psychic Locking, you could be, what's Gallade's attack? Psychic Cutting. Um, it, it just seems very out of place to me. Whimsicast, any ideas on Swampert? It's very strange. I know uh, Ruby mentioned the deck in 2010. I believe that was James G. That was the first going out to that. But it's strange to me that it saw play over Empoleon, which there was an Empoleon really good card in 2007 that attacked for three energy and did 70. So it still does good numbers, probably need a little bit of a buff, but it didn't need extra energy. So you didn't even need the ability pull. It also had a great level X and... Um, just fit, I think, a little bit better. So it's interesting seeing it see play. But yeah, I didn't know about this one. I'm going to be honest. Didn't know about this one. Was the discard the top card of the opponent's deck? Like you said, the attack's not that good, so it couldn't be broken. But like in a format that was so slow and decks were constructed very differently in terms of the greediness of some of the resources, was that discard the top card ever like that valuable, do you think? Or was it just like, eh, it's kind of cute, but you're not really going to hit important stuff most likely? Yeah, I think a lot of the time you're probably just not hitting that many important things. Uh, night maintenance was around, so you had recovery. I think probably the biggest thing you might hit would be an energy card. But against a deck like Magmortar, they're running a ton of fire energy, and they don't really care necessarily if it hits the discard pile. So I think you, I think you're probably just better off psychic locking them or something to that effect. Psychic lock was Gardevoir, correct? Mm -hmm. Okay, good. I have to, to make sure I know, because if I don't know, then we got to explain something because I'm missing something. <laughs> the next one, chronologically, although I think both these cards are in the exact same set, they they are definitely in the exact same type. We'll go with Ruby Retro's one first, and then we'll go into Whimsicasts. So Ruby Retro, you picked the Black White Potion. Heal 30 damage from one of your Pokemon. It's important because, again, it is not base set Pokemon or base set Potion, just like Bill was not the base set version. How you? I don't believe Potion was ever good. You're gonna have to explain this one to me. How was Potion possibly a viable card? So Potion, and specifically the Black White Potion, was good because it upped the damage that it healed to 30. And the reason 30 damage is so important is because of Darkrai EX that came out in Dark Explorers with the attack Night Spear. It does 90 and then hits something on the bench for 30. A lot of players, because Darkrai was so polarizing on the meta, and because decks were running for Junk Arm to just constantly cycle back item cards, a lot of players added one or even two copies of Potion to their Darkrai Mewtwo decks 
because that gave them the edge in the mirror because they were able to heal their bench dark rise that were getting pinged for 30 damage. Um, I know Carl Shu got top eight at uh, Nats that year, and he played a one of potion and kind of. I remember him explaining it to me because I was like, Carl, I, I I think you made a mistake in the deck list. Um, but actually, Harrison Levin, who got second place at Worlds that year, he ran two potion. And it was just such a powerful card for the mirror match. And Potion has never come up again outside of that like span of three months. And so that that's why it's on the list. And believe me, it if one player played Potion and the other one didn't, whoever had the Potion was very much favored. So this was a matchup where like the math was just so precise that healing 30 was that important. Yeah, because with, if you couldn't get an Eviolite down to reduce the damage dealt to them by 20, and that just meant that they were going to be able to Pokemon Catcher up the one with the 30 on it, and then hit it for another 90 to put it at 120 and put the other one on the bench at 120, and then they had a pretty clear path to setting up a four-prize turn. So then you're also playing around the late game N. Was this pre-errata catcher? Yes, yeah. Okay. <laughs> This format was the epitome of powerful trainer cards. <laughs> it's so funny you say that when you also use the exact same paragraph of potion was a staple in this deck. <laughs> right. Whimsicast, do you have other thoughts on potion that you want to add? I think potion owes a lot of the success to junk arm being in the format, um, which made these trainer cards at the time, much more accessible. Um, junk Arm for the viewers is discard two cards from your hand and then you grab a trainer, in this case, item, because it was pre-black and white uh, card, and you put that into your hand. So you discard two, get whatever item you want back, and you can use it again. And this was seen in a lot of 2011 and 2012 decks. There's a lot of item tacking, but especially in 2012, where the Pokemon counts went down because of the big EXs returning, you saw a lot of item tacking, and it really just was made so much more consistent um, because of Junk Arm. So really helped. And then I want to pose a question to both of you, and you're welcome to say, I have absolutely no idea, but what do you think Potion would have to be power crept to in the current format, the current standard format, to have any possibility to see viability again which i don't know for the audio listeners ruby retro's face is currently uh grimacing pretty hard <laughs> at the thought of even answering that question and whimsicast i'm not sure if you're feeling much better about that thought but uh i'll whimsicast because i can't see your face do you have any thoughts on potion i don't hate the idea of potion uh being playable i think we'd probably have to have 60 damage and the reason i say 60 is because back in the tag team era we had a card called Great Potion, which healed 50 from your active tag team Pokemon. And that actually saw some play in some uh, ability-less Charizard decks that would just run uh, a card called Greens to search out all your item cards. Yeah. So you'd play that and search out the healing and just take off a turn. So with numbers adjusted, I think 60 could be uh, theoretically playable. Maybe something like Gudra could take advantage of it nowadays. Let's not forget Guardian as a deck as well. <laughs> true, true. Uh, did Celesaur play it? Or did they just have uh, the Shamans? It came out in Unified Minds, which Fire was in full span by then, so Celesaur was gone. Gotcha. Okay, poor Celesaur. Ruby Retro, do you have any thoughts or an agreement on 
the potion being 60. Yeah, I think 60 probably. I It's so tough, right? Because a lot of times when you were getting a great potion, you really wanted to be playing two of them at the same time because a lot you were trying to avoid getting two hit KO'd with something. And so for for me, I almost think it would have to be more. I think um, if you truly want uh, some kind of big basic or uh, V-Star, whatever, to be able to be that tanky, I almost think we're pushing 100 at this point. And I, I really hope they don't print anything like that. I think Hyper Potion is about as close as they need to, to go to that. That would just be an absolutely disgusting. I am pro tanky stuff, but <laughs> the thought of being able to play three or four of them with how much card draw we have in this current format is. It's scary, but also 30 times four is not enough to be a worth a four of. We're going to jump into Whimsicast list with a card that is near and dear to my heart because I only played this to one tournament and it was one of the most fun tournaments I've ever played. We have also from the black white set Lillipup 50 HP basic colorless the attack pickup put a item card from your hand from sorry discard pile into your hand and the attack bite for 10 damage that you would probably never ever ever play Whimsicast how is this basic Lillipup seeing play? Well, I'm glad to know you're part of the Lillipup gang. I absolutely love that card. Had tons of fun with it and expanded. Um, so Lillipup initially did not see any play. This is a long story. And um, essentially, the Lillipup deck would end up revolving around a Stoutland released in 2013's Boundaries Crossed. And that Stoutland had an ability called Sentinel, where if it's active, it blocks your opponent from playing supporter cards. Its attack is terrible. Don't worry about it. You're not using that. It's just that we're going to lock our opponent out of playing supporter cards. And Stoutland would actually see an initial uh, success. I brought this up so I could reference it. In 2014 in European Challenge Cup, um, I'm going to butcher the name, but uh, Tomas uh, Kimura took the Stoutland deck to a 19th place, which is pretty respectable because Stoutland was not very good at the time. But it did not play that Lillipup because by then the Lillipup had rotated. Lillipup would come into play in Expanded, though, later on. Um, the first tool that it would get was that in Sun and Moon base, we'd get a Herdier, which had a great ability. When you evolved into it, you got to pick up an item from the discard pile. So same as the attack, but as an ability. And that just gives you extra flexibility, extra setup, all that. Um, what would really turn the deck uh, to a real threat in Expanded was Burning Shadows, which released two key cards. We had Raichu which when you evolve into Raichu, it paralyzes the opponent. And we had Guzma. And essentially the way that the format came to be is that the format would just, every deck played Guzma, every deck played cards to reuse Guzma and Verse Seeker. So if you could trap something active with Paralysis with the Raichu and then keep it there uh, by stopping Guzma with the supporter log of Stoutland, you could keep something there forever and do whatever you want on your side of the board. Um, and that's where the Lillipup actually comes in. It's not just a best basic. It's not just, oh, this is the best one we have. The Lillipup is absolutely vital because you would use either Shining Celebi or later we had Memory Energy, anything that allowed you to copy the Lillipup's pickup attack to get an item back from the discard pile. And you would grab de-evolution spray to devolve the Raichu every turn, just so the lock kept on going. Yeah, 
deck really when it's fully functioning is so beautiful because you draw for turn you're like devo spray evo shock pickup and like you don't have to move anything right you just have all the cards laid out there you don't put anything back in your hand you're like i, I got this i got the lockdown uh, i do want to say longtime listeners will remember this but about uh, nine or ten months ago we did interview ross Cawthon and the many things we talked about but one of them was the creation of or like refinement of the shock lock deck that whimsicast just completely like did a great job of going through the exact lock and why it was so incredibly powerful but if you want more from that be sure to check out that interview as well ruby retro any thoughts on lillipup that haven't already been said yeah i just think it's so funny that pickup for one caused so many problems when like you know just looking at it and avoid getting one card back is not good because a few sets after this, we got Sableye with Junk Hunt that got two back, and everyone lost their mind, because two was too many, but one was like, eh, I don't really need this. So it, it is just really funny that this was what uh, a lot of what carried that deck. It is also, we currently, in the standard format, have, what, a Rotom that has Junk Hunt for one that is not only unplayable, but no one has even pretended that card is a potentially viable thing, right? And yet... Because this one evolved to have more HP with an incredibly broken ability, considering the meta. This turned out to be so good. It's just such a beautiful stars aligned. There's zero chance the card designers printed this Lillipup and were like, this thing is gonna is gonna change the format somehow. For sure. I, I do want to give a shout out to the GLC folks though. They have their eye on that Rotom for their lightning control decks. So shout out to them. Yo, Shocklock is still alive in GLC, <laughs> which is so sick. The next one we have is one that I think I'd be shocked if people didn't hear the title of this podcast and immediately jump into this. The world champion winning card that no one saw coming. And even when I had posed this question to some other folks from one of our retro group chats, they were all like, if you gave me at that world championship, this deck and said it is going to win worlds, I would not have played it because of how unlikely it was. And that is, of course, Mega Odno EX, which had 220 HP, a behemoth at the time, and the Magical Symphony attack, 110 damage for three colorless energies. And then it's currently too small on my screen to read the specifics, but it did snipe damage. If you played a supporter card from your hand during this turn, this attack does 50 damage to one of your opponent's benched Pokemon. So we know it won Worlds, but Whimsicast, how did this card win Worlds out of nowhere? Uh, so I want to preface this by stating that this is possibly one of the worst decks to see competitive success of all time. <laughs> uh, I have played the deck since then. I am obviously retro formats are my thing. And the deck is not very good, even to the matchups it's favored in. But it is a surprise deck. And if we've learned anything from uh, Sander, we can take a surprise deck and make something good out of it. So essentially, the Odno does a few things right. It has colorless typing, which allows it to use double colorless in its attack costs. So very good. Back then, double colorless was double turbo, but with no damage reduction. Um, it was very bulky. I know you mentioned that. 220 HP is pretty bulky. Um, even most Megas had like 210 from my memory. So it lived some hits that other ones wouldn't. And that was played into because the deck played a card called AZ, which is essentially the same as Professor Turo's scenario that um, that we're getting soon. And it just allows you to pick up the Pokemon and discard everything else. So you just get to fully heal it. But the reason it saw play was at the time because of the attack. 
And this attack wouldn't even be that bad nowadays if printed on a good Pokemon, just because we're in one of those formats again where we have a lot of low HP Pokemon. At the time, there was mainly Night March and Greninja. These are like the two low HP decks that were around at the time. Greninja's really big if it gets built up with 170 HP, but the goal is to stop it. And if you've watched the finals match between uh, Shintaro Ito and I believe it's uh, Cody uh, Walensky, I believe, in the second place Greninja deck, he shuts that deck down so fast, and that it was the goal of the Audino deck. You get going and you do 110 to the active and 50 to the bench. The Night Marchers at the time, they have like 30 HP, 60 HP if they're in play, so they're going to get wiped out. And the Greninja deck, their Frokies, I believe, had 60, but they had to take a turn to set up because they had a Frogadier that had the same attack as Mirage Step Curlia, but for Frogadiers. So it, they set that up, and they're just giving you time. So if you go first as the Mega Audino player, you just have all the time in the world to attach your energies, and if you're attacking into that Frogadier turn two, you're setting up another knockout, taking a knockout on the active, and it just gets really out of hand. How consistent is it from my own testing? Not really, the list, <laughs> but, you know, it took the world by storm, certainly. Ruby Retro, any thoughts, or should we wait on the Mega Odno video in about 20 years? <laughs> We're hoping for a little less than 20 years on it. No, I, I think Whimsicast hit it right on the head that, you know, most players, I don't think, even if they were handed this deck, would have played it. My buddy and I, we actually were trying out a version with Evil Talls for Nats that year. And we like proxied it up. We traded for the cards on uh, PTCGO. And a few games in, we were just like, this is bad. <laughs> You know, this this is not working, and we switched off of it pretty quick. So when it won Worlds, we we were I, we were some of the most shocked people after having like you know had the cards sleeved up and thought about it to see that it was actually finding success. I absolutely love everything both of you have said. Is exactly what everyone who's ever talked about this deck has said. Of like, it won, but like, I don't I don't know how. <laughs> is so cool all right the next one we have the last two cards are both from the same set which is lost thunder i'm going to choose the one that i think is more boring for it's literally more boring this is an incredibly boring card 120 hp onyx the attack land crush for four colorless does 120 damage again full stop that is the end of the onyx card there's no other attack there's no ability there's no effect whimsicast i'm our Mali players are probably screaming in their headphones when I ask you this, what the answer is, but why was this Onyx card good? Um, so there was actually a Steelix deck at the time, but that's not where we're going to be talking about today because the Onyx there is barely relevant. Um, what we're talking about is that Onyx is hitting 120 damage and hitting the single best weakness in the game at the time. At the time, Zoroark GX, big dark type, dark types were weak to fighting back then, uh, it had 210 HP, so if you hit it for 240 damage with weakness, it was going down. And that was the lifeblood of this card. I remember seeing this card, and I was like, well, there's no way this is good. We had even other fighting types in the same set. Uh, Larvitar had an attack that did, like, 80 damage, so if you boosted that, it could take a knockout on, like, a Zoroark. Um, so it's like, I never thought it was going to be good, but then it just really took off. And it is because of not only just the Malamar decks, but also a... 
different kind of energy acceleration in the Quagsire decks. Um, so yeah, they, they existed. <laughs> Every Nagquag Malamar... player we've ever had on the podcast needs to tell you they played Nagquag. <laughs> I love it. I'm, I'm not a Nagquag player. I, I do not uh, agree with that deck. That oh, deck you, is you missed no. out. <laughs> so Malamar is essentially like Flaffy in the standard format um, in the Maraidon decks, where it just accelerates an energy from the discard pile, but this time it was Psychic. But because Onyx had four colorless, you can just accelerate to the Onyx. And uh, a lot of Malamar lists at the time of Lost Thunder's release were playing double colorless in the spread list, so it just fit in perfectly because you could just use two Malamars and then attach a double colorless and get in there. Um, the Quagsire decks, it was a little bit more complicated. The Quagnag, as he put it, is because Quagsire had the same ability as the Swampert that we talked about earlier, but for water types, where you move an energy from the bench to the active as often as you like. And the Naganadel would accelerate the energy into play to itself, but then you'd move it up to the whatever attacker you need. So it just hit the best weakness that you need to hit, and Zoroark was everywhere ruby retro anything to add to it onyx is just the epitome of like a big dumb basic and it's like the only onyx that's ever been good so <laughs> i love it i do want to also add uh picaram at some point later on helped keep this card a little bit relevant because 120 times two is picaram hp <laughs> yeah I, I do forget about picaram because i am a sun and moon to lost thunder uh fan as they would say Love that format, so I do forget about the tag team Slayer. And I'm a Picaram fan, and I have been land crushed for three prizes. <laughs> many, many a times. <laughs> Alright, the last card that we have, and I I look, I love the Lillipup. Mega Odno has a cool story, but the fact this card was successful is, I think, just a testament to Pokemon players and their stubbornness <laughs> to just accept good decks and create interesting decks. Unknown damage from Lost Thunder. There were a couple others, unknown missing, unknown hand, but unknown damage. Ability, once during your turn, if this Pokemon is in your act is your active Pokemon, and if there are 66 or more damage counters on your benched Pokemon, you may use this ability. If you do, you win this game. That's that's really all that mattered. So <laughs> Whimsicast. Can you explain how this card was actually successful ever? Because 66 is a very large number of damage counters. Uh, for sure. This was an expanded card. This did not really pop off in the standard format the same way. But in expanded, we've had a good old reliable Reuniclus around. And essentially what Reuniclus allowed you to do is move the damage on your field around however you like. And this is where the combo starts building. So we have a clef key from back in the day that attaches itself as a tool card if it's on your bench. So the clef key, though, would need some damage on it. So we played a stadium called uh, Team Magma's Secret Base. And this was similar to the modern day Gapejaw Bog, where you bench it and you take 20 damage. So what Reuniclus does is that you take the 20 damage off, you attach clef key as a tool, but then how do we get the clef key back? Because we need to do this what 33 times <laughs> the answer comes in steam sieges weavile uh klefki and weavile both from the same set maybe they intended this weavile has the tear away uh pokey or not pokey power ability uh as often as you like you may pick up a tool card uh from one of your pokemon and put it back into your hand 
So essentially, we have the loop here established. You just pick your big basic of choice. Usually it was Whale or DX at the time. And you play Klefki down, put the damage on it, move the damage off to your big basic, then put it as a tool, pick up the Klefki, and you just loop that 33 times. And uh, fun fact for those who actually played this deck or the Unknown Hand deck on PTCGO, they actually programmed in a special win screen when you won with the unknowns that would say victory in the unknown letters. So quite uh, a fun way to win. Ruby Retro, anything to add for unknown damage? Yeah, I think the key is just you had this Whale Lord Magikarp tag team that had so much HP and uh, it made... And I think didn't it also play a Lonely Ninetales GX to like search out rare candies and things? So like you had so many spots to just stack this damage up and players had it mathed out perfectly to how to get that damage on board. Um, there was another deck that played this that it didn't see as much success because it's just so wonky and you don't get it to work very often, but there was a deck with Archies where you played Archies like Stoys in um, Expanded and you played Unknown Damage and you played it with like the, um, I don't even think tag teams were out yet. So you played it with like Whale Lord EX from um, Primal Clash that had 250 HP and you there was like an energy reset card so you would get all your energies on board and like um, you played Frozen City so they were taking 20 damage for every energy you accelerate into play and then you play this like energy reset or whatever it is from Fates Collide all the energies come back and you play them down again and so it was one of the few decks that like you could actually win on the first turn with it that very rarely were you actually executing it. I'm upset you mentioned that because now I remember why I own four reverse hollow frozen cities and energy resets. And it was because <laughs> of that deck. It was it was like the flavor of the week at some point because someone sat down and figured out the math could actually work. So the cool thing about unknown damage is it got banned almost immediately after the first tournament where I think it was two players only made day two and they didn't even do like that well. I mean, they did like fine, but the fact that it was a proof of concept, they immediately, went, oh, your opponent can solitaire out wins on turn two. This should probably not exist, which, you know, correct. <laughs> it should probably not exist. <laughs> Thank you all so much. There are a ton of cards that we did not actually get to. Uh, I was in the chat with the, you all and you cut your list down from about 30 cards each to you know six which was great because all of these are pretty bad if people want more from you they want more of your content or they want to yell at you because you forgot specific cards where can they find you uh we'll go with ruby retro first where can people find more from you yeah so um obviously you can find my youtube channel or uh, mine and aaron's excuse me fingers crossed that we'll be back to regular uploads soon um, you can also follow me on Twitter at PKMN underscore Ruby Retro or Pokemon Ruby Retro. Uh, we have a Discord server. I hang out a lot in um, PTCG Legends Discord server as well. And always down to talk retro, always down to talk Pokemon. Whimsicast, where can the people find you if they want more from you? So I also have a YouTube channel uh, that I talk, kind of talked about earlier. Uh, it is Whimsicast, the same name that I have here. Um... I do retro content there as well, though I do more gameplay. I've been taking gameplay off because my hand is broken, um, but I'll be getting back to gameplay eventually, so we'll get back in there. Um, I also just do kind of retro variety content in the meantime, so 
see some fun little stuff about what are my least favorite cards of all time. Uh, hint, it's Double Dragon Energy. <laughs> uh, and then I also have a Twitter account, uh, same at Whimsicast name, and I run a second Twitter account now that I started earlier this year uh, called Roseanne's Research. It's at Roseanne's Search. Couldn't fit the whole name in there, but we worked with what we got. Uh, and that is a trivia account where every day I post new Pokemon trivia. Sometimes it's awesome. Sometimes it's like, oh, this guy is, this is where this card is based in. Here's this artist and here's why they're cool. So give it a follow if you feel like. It's a banger Twitter account, by the way. <laughs> like it's, it's a top tier <laughs> follow for any Pokemon nerds. I appreciate it. Myself, Twitch, Twitter, and YouTube at Mel underscore Magikarp. You know, rate and review, podcast stuff, you know, all that. Uh, we'll be back pretty soon with some more standard format stuff. But I hope you enjoyed the run back into the retro. If you enjoy these types of episodes, please let me know. It encouraged me to keep doing some off-the-wall content instead of just constantly grinding standard into the ground, especially for a format that no one's actually played yet, but they're going to tell you that they have. This has been another episode of the Lake of Rage podcast. We'll catch you all next week.